listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Jesus, we pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would touch our minds to receive, God, what you would say to us today. Because truly, God, you want to be greater in our lives. And God, every one of us wants you to be greater in our lives, through our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and we'll give you all the glory in this house. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. We're going to continue today our series on Greater 330. We're believing for God to do greater things in your life. We believe God's got incredible things in store for you, that God wants to accomplish greatness through your life. How many believes today that God wants to do greater things with your life than what you're doing right now? Come on, how many thinks that God is limitless and if we'll just allow him, the sky's the limits of what he can do with our lives. Do I have a witness? Do I have any takers in the house today? There is a potential of God in every one of us that none of us are living to the fullest. But God wants to be greater in every one of our lives. Here's the thought that we've been carrying through this whole series, and that is this. God doesn't do greater things exclusively through greater people. He does them through anyone. That's me. Come on, anyone else, the anyone in the house? He does them through anyone who is willing to trust Him in a greater way. I want to trust God in greater ways. Trust involves action. Say that word with me, action. Come on, say it nice and loud. Action. Trust involves action. We're going to talk about that a little more today. And then our scripture where we get the 3.30 from comes from John 3.30, where John the Baptist says, he must increase, speaking about Jesus, and I must decrease. I like how the Message Bible says, he must move into the center while I slip off to the sideline, that I need God to be in the rightful place so then I can be in the right place. John is saying in order for him to be great, I must become less. There needs to be less of me and more about God. Unfortunately, however, we hear messages like this series and others And we get so excited, we get so pumped up in the house and we're like, yeah, I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to be a better worker. I'm going to be at work on time tomorrow. I'm going to pay my tithes and I'm going to add, yeah, I'm going to do this. We get so pumped up in the house, but the problem is when we step outside, we're not really changed. We go back to living life as it used to be. And why is that? I'll tell you why. Here's the reason why. We love the inspiration, but yet we lack the participation. We like to be inspired and challenged, and we should be in the house. 
But why are we challenged and inspired in the house? So we'll go out. If you notice on your way out and you can turn and look above the door purposely, there are four words written. Now it's my time. For what reason? What you have gathered in here, it's now your time to participate in that and put it to work when you step out into the greatest mission field this world has to offer. So we want greater things to happen in your lives. And we're going to discover today that in order to see better things take place, it's bandana time. Say with me, bandana time. Come on, say it with an attitude today. Come on, bandana time. That means there's going to be some action that's required from our lives. We're going to discover today that greater isn't something we should just sit and pray about, as important as that is. It's not something we should just sit and think about, contemplate about, believe about, as important as all those things are. But we're going to discover today that greater is something we need to be involved in. We need to play our part and do something. Last week we talked about burning the plows from the life of Elisha. That when he followed Elijah, he burnt his plows. Why? It was a statement that he was removing everything from his past that could ever ensnare him or tempt him to go back. He was severing his ties with the past. We've got some bins out here. We've been encouraging people to bring those plows and things. And some people have brought some things today. And we're going to burn them this week. But we're severing anything that tethers us and holds us to our old way of life. So we discovered last week that the first step, After the mantle of God has been placed upon us, after we are chosen and every one of us has been chosen by God, the first step involves the right starting point. And that's leaving the old behind. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Leaving the old behind. But we leave the old behind so we can step into the new. And that's the problem. A lot of people burn the past. They get rid of the past. They deal with the past. But then not knowing really what to do, the next step, they kind of get stuck in no man's land. And I've discovered the reason why we get stuck in that area falls under these two reasons. Reason number one, we don't think big enough. We don't believe God enough. And number two, we don't start small enough. Think about that. We don't believe big enough and we don't start small enough. Some of us can say, well, that's kind of a contradiction. How can we believe big if we're going to be small? We're going to see that in order to be big, it involves taking small steps towards greatness. It's important to dream big. We teach people in this house to believe big. Why? Because we serve a big God. But we must also take the realistic steps of obedience to see those greater things unfold. Too many of us don't think big enough for our future. 
We limit God. I love this scripture, probably one of my favorites outside of John 3.16 in the whole Bible. It's Ephesians 3 verse 20 and it says, Now to Him, capitalize God. Now to God who is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can even ask or think. That's big. How many would say that's big? God can go way beyond my wildest dreams, my highest expectations. But notice, it's a According to the power that works inside of us. I want to tell you today that God is not your limiting factor. The reason you're not seeing big things and great things and greater things in your life is not because of God. You've got to realize that. He is the power we just read that can accomplish and will accomplish those greater things in our lives if we will trust Him, if we will not sell ourselves short. Satan loves that when we sell ourselves short. Have you heard yourself lately? Well, I could never do that. I'll never be free of that. I guess this is how I'm going to have to... Come on, have you heard yourself speak those lies over your life? We all do. My kids will never be this, that. Listen, I'm telling you right now, we've got to watch because we sell ourselves short and often settle for dreams and visions that are far less than what God has for each one of our lives. And then we begin to complain when we're not finding the fulfillment in our lives. God, my life's miserable and boring. What's up? And God's saying, what's up? What's up with you is what God's saying. Because I know I'm greater. Come on, God's saying that. God says, I know I'm able. God says, I know that what I can do. I know that I'm limitless. God's saying, what's up with you? Why can't you believe that? God's not to blame. Look what it says in John 10.10, another great scripture. If you haven't read the Bible lately, it's a great book to read. I encourage you. Look what it says. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. We all know that, but we've got to remind ourselves of this. God says that I have come, that you may have life in your finances, in your marriage, in your body, in every aspect of your life. And he says, I don't want you just to have a mere existence. God says, I've come to give you abundance. I've come to give you abundance. Abundance. We've got to begin to think bigger. Because we serve a God of abundance. We serve a God that's a power that lives and dwells inside of each one of us. D.L. Moody says these words. He says, if God is your partner, make big plans. I like that. If God is your partner, you better start making big plans. So how do those greater things Become accomplished. How do I accomplish those greater things in my life? By just thinking about them? By just praying about them? By just waiting for them? Can I tell you no, no, and no? It's not just about thinking about them. It's not just about praying about them. It's not just about waiting for those. As important as it is to think, to wait, to pray. There are very important things. But you know what? We've got to first be willing to think big, yes, But then the active ingredient of God's greater works through our willingness to start small. It's not just about thinking. We've got to start doing. We've got to start being involved in this relationship. How many knows a one-sided relationship is not going far in a hurry? 
But when you've got two-sided, when you're working together, we often wonder, well, why is my life not going? Because God's relationship with us is like the pedals on a bike. Come on, we've got to work with Him. Come on, how many knows it takes two pedals to make that bike go? We've got to start working with God. We can dream the big dreams, but we've got to be willing to take the small steps. The steps of faith can be small and ordinary but they are needed to ignite the greater things God has for our lives. You see, when we take the steps, you know what we are doing? We're preparing. We're preparing the way for God to move in a greater way. We've got to be prepared to take the small, ordinary. Can I tell you this? The practical step. Do you know that Christianity is practical? It means it needs to be lived out in your everyday life. It's not just spiritual, it's practical. It works in the way you talk to your spouse, in the way you treat your kids, in the way that you're faithful and you're not robbing your employer five minutes in the morning because you show up late every day. Come on, the Word of God is as much practical as it is spiritual. You see, that's the participation part. The inspirational part is the spiritual I felt goosebumps today. Well, I'm glad you did. But you know what? If those goosebumps don't help you to be a better person outside these doors, all you had is an experience. You haven't had a change. You haven't had a transformation. And we're all about God transforming your life. What does it say in Hebrews 11 verse 1? It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the realization and the confidence. In the New Living Translation, it says faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot yet see. In other words, what we have just read is this. There are things, greater things, miracles, blessings that God has in store for every one of us that we don't have yet. It's hoped for. Come on. It's the evidence. I haven't seen it yet, but I sense it and I know it. So how do I obtain those things that are fully available to me through simple steps? You see, faith is an action word, just like trust. It involves action. Whose action? Your action to what? His reaction. You are reacting to the truth of God and allowing the life of God to live out through your life. Look what it says in James 2, 17. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Without your obedience, without your participation... You can have all the faith you want, but the Bible tells us that it's dead, it's dormant, it's laying inactive in your life. Too many Christians today have got so much faith, but yet they're not prepared to walk it out. And therefore it's dead. My walk does not create faith, but because of my relationship in God, I have faith. And as a result of that faith, I do and live and serve and I am what God wants me to be. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Listen to this. Faith isn't a state of mind. It's a course of action. Faith isn't a state of mind. It's a course of action. It's not a magical wand that I just wave and say, abracadabra, do it. That's faith. But you know what faith is? Faith is a work order that has your name on it. It has your name on it. You need to do something. 
You need to do something. And may I remind you again, the only reason we can do something is because he did everything. He did it all for us upon the cross. But now he asks for us to walk in obedience. I heard a preacher say this week a statement that's not true. It is true, but it's not true. He said this statement. He says, God doesn't need your help. It's a lie. It's true in some circumstances, but let me tell you something. It's not true across the board. God requires our help. Not that we're helping the situation. He's making way for it, but we're walking in obedience to those things that he's called us to do. Do I hear an amen? God needs my help in the right way. Not for him to be God. He doesn't need any help in that. But he needs help to bring to pass those things in my life as I step in those, as I believe in those, as I trust in those, and as I believe that God is going to do that. I take the practical steps. Anyone remember the story of the little red hen? The little red hen. Bless her heart. She went out and she found a grain What did she find? A grain of wheat. And she asks everyone in the farmyard, all the animals, if they will help her plant it. Every animal says, no, thank you. She went back to him and said, will you help me harvest it? Will you help me thresh it? Will you help me mill it? Will you help me bake it? One after the other. Every one of the farm animals says, no, 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 and no. But when it came time to eat it, Everyone wanted to be involved. Isn't that a picture of our lives? We want the miracles, but yet we're not prepared to take the steps of faith that prepare for God to bring that miracle. The moral of the story, they said, is this. I read it on the internet, so it's got to be true. (laughs) Those who who show no willingness to contribute to an end result product do not deserve to enjoy the end product what are you saying pastor p here's what i'm saying look on the screen big dreams start with small steps and just because they're small doesn't automatically make them easily done doesn't make them easy to do but because they're small they may not be an easy step but it means it's a step that i can take It means God's not asking more from me than I'm able to do. God's not asking me to stretch six feet. He's asking me just to take a small step. Not easy, but obtainable. We're going to look again at Elisha, the role model for greater 3.30. He's burnt his plow. He's followed after Elijah. And I encourage you to get the messages. Go online. You can download, upload whatever the podcasts through the media page. Every message that's preached. You can, excuse me, find them on our internet and our website. But he's witnessed Elijah being taken up to heaven. He saw the chariot and the horsemen. He's now been separated from his mentor. The mantle of Elijah falls, the one that was placed upon him in a field. He grabs it and he puts it up and he declares these words, Where is the God of Elijah? And immediately he smites the Jordan River, I believe it was, and the river opens and he walks through. He experiences not only the blessing of Elijah, but a double portion of his anointing. So now he's the man. He's the prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God. 
And I really encourage you, because we're just touching highlights of Elisha's life, but I encourage you to read through 2 Kings. Begin to read the life of Elisha. Read how he served, but read how he lived. What an example he is to us of someone who dared to trust God for bigger and greater things, but yet he was also someone that was prepared to take the small steps in order to see those come into being. He chose to live a life where obstacles became opportunities for God to prove himself. And he didn't just believe that, he lived it. You see, the problem we have, we believe that God is able, but yet we live like he doesn't exist. Craig Rochelle wrote an incredible book called The Christian Atheist. And it says, you believe in God, but live as though he doesn't exist. It's too many Christians are really Christian atheists. They believe, but they don't live. And that doesn't go together. But what we see from his life is that he teaches us that miracles aren't just magic tricks, but they are divine results, listen to this, of small steps of faith filled preparation. We see as a result of small steps, miracles begin to happen. We're going to read a passage of Scripture today. We're going to read quite a lot of Scripture today. And I ask you to stay with me today. It's 2 Kings 3, verse 1 through 14. And it says these words, Now Jerome, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and his mother, for he put away the sacred pillars of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, and he did not depart from them. Verse 4, Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And the king Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. Then he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me and fight against Moab? And Jehoshaphat said to him, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then then Jehoshaphat said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel, Jerome, went with the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for their animals that followed them. Verse 10, And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. It's amazing, isn't it, how quick God gets the blame for something he hasn't done. Verse 11, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants answered the king of Israel and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. That's the one who poured water. He was the one that served the man of God, Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to your prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them in the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not even look at you nor would I want to even see you. 
Let me bring you up to power of what's kind of happened here so you understand where we're at. During this time, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. King Jehoram is the king of the northern regions. King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, the kingdom divided. A king of Moab was paying a treaty, but when Ahab died, he no longer wanted to pay. So he rebelled against King Jehoram. So he was frightened. So what should he do? So he came up with a plan. So he says, I'm going to enlist King Jehoshaphat and I'm going to go and find the king of Edom. And the three of us together with our armies are going to produce such a great army that we will easily defeat the Moabites. But they suffered a problem. They ran out of water. And to run out of water in any place is not good, but to run out of water in the middle of a wilderness... A desert is definitely not good. Now they are battling a greater foe, a greater enemy. They're dying of thirst. So King Jerome, he blames God. And, well, did God bring us here? And now he's going to kill us? I see how God is. But Jehoshaphat spoke up and he says, hold on a second. Is there not a prophet? Is there not a man of God? Is not God's word still being spoken in this area? And the three kings show up to Elisha's house. Can you imagine that? Showing up to his house. I mean, the three kings didn't just come on their own. Can you imagine the entourage? Can you remember all the people that came with them, all the pump and the ceremony, the mute, just everything that was going on? Elisha probably thought the carnival had come to town. Come on. And there's a knock on his door. They can't be coming from me, but there's a knock on the door. So he stands there. Now, Elisha is not happy about... King Jerome. He doesn't like him. Why? Because his mum and dad was Ahab and Jezebel. They were the wickedest king and queen that have ever lived. And Elijah, they came against his mentor and they tried to kill him. But Elijah called down fire from God. So he doesn't really want to have anything to do with him. In fact, he says, why don't you go and find your own prophets that your mom and dad worshipped? Why not go and seek the gods that you want? But then he says these words, but because of Jehoshaphat, I'm going to help you. Because of Jehoshaphat, I'm going to help you. And then in verse 15, Elisha says these words, now bring me a musician. Pretty strange, we would think, huh? That he's faced with a daunting problem. They have no water. The kings are waiting to hear an answer. And Elisha wants some mood music. Get the harpist out here and play me some music. Well, look what it says. When, it, when the musician began to play, then it happened. When the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. This is why worship is so important. So as we begin to play and worship God, we create an atmosphere where God comes down. And really when I say that God comes down, it's not really true because God's down here all the time. But what happens is we create an atmosphere where we're sensitive to His presence, where we're aware of His presence. It's sad that how many of us go through life unaware that God is with us, but He's there. 
but yet he's not actively involved. But as we welcome him in, he becomes actively involved. So he becomes sensitive to the presence of God. And look what it says in verse 16 and verse 17. And Elisha says, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, you shall not see rain. Remember that, that's important. You're not going to see it. You're not going to sense it. You're not going to feel it. But guess what? God says, I'm still going to do it. God says that the valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple thing, a simple matter. The King James says this is just a small thing. I like that. God says that's just the small part. God says, I will also deliver the people of Moab, the Moabites, into your hand. So Elisha confirms to them through the mouth of God, or as God speaks through him rather, he confirms to them that water's going to flow, that they'll have plenty to drink, and God's going to deliver them, the enemy, into their hands. But may I remind you again the way by which he said all this would take place. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, make this valley full of ditches. Can you imagine what's going through the king's minds right at that point? Can you imagine what's probably going through Elisha's mind? He's like thinking, God, I mean, you you haven't got something better than that. I mean, they're dying of thirst. They're struggling. They're weak. They have no water. But yet you want them to do a strenuous task like dig ditches in a valley, in a barren and dry area. God's like, yeah, that's what I said to do. Here's the thought. If you want the miracle... And they needed a miracle because if they didn't get that miracle, they were going to die. You've got to be obedient to do what's required. You've got to be obedient to do what's required. It would have been great if they could have sat around and thought about hydration. It would have been great if they could have just sat and imagined and pictured running waters and pools and strings. And bam, all of a sudden it gushed out of the ground. And wow, they were. That wasn't how God did it. You know what God told him to do? God told him it's bandana time. God says you got to put down all your pride and you got to get your bandana out and be prepared to sweat because it's time to dig a ditch in a valley. That's what God told him. You may get some blisters. You're going to go through some hard times, whatever. But you've got to be prepared. Oh, I'll send the rain, God said. But you've got to be prepared to dig the ditch. God is saying to them, you show me your faith. And God says, watch out because I'll show you my faithfulness. God is saying to them, if you want to see breakthroughs in your life, if you want to see those barren places be a running stream and gushing water, you want to see life come back into that which is dead. You got to be prepared to take a simple step of faith. Grab a shovel. And begin to dig a ditch. I wonder how many people at that moment got on their knees and said, well, you can dig a ditch all you want. I'm just going to pray for the rain. Pray for the rain all you want. That's not how God said it was going to come. Do I hear an amen? God said it's going to come by way of you digging a ditch. All night they dug a ditch. In fact, they dug ditches because God said, make the valley full of ditches. 
And look what it says in verse 20. It says, now it happened. You know why many of us people don't get to verse 20? Because we can't get beyond verse 16. What are you talking about? We're not prepared to dig a ditch. Well, my pride won't let me do that. But say sorry to them. Who, they're the ones that's wrong. Come on, I just struck a note right there. They're the ones that's done me wrong in my marriage. God said, dig a ditch. Means you're going to have to kill some pride. Means you're going to have to sweat a little bit. Means you're going to participate a little bit. Well, I'll do it when they do it. God says it's never going to happen unless you make it happen. Now it happened in the morning after they dug all night when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled. They didn't see it. They didn't know it was coming. But when they dug, God sent the rain. God sent the rain. Listen to me. Only God can send the rain, but he expects you and I to dig a ditch. He expects you and I to do the preparation. Please understand today what we're saying is not, oh, well, I'll just dig this way and that way and God has to do whatever I want him to do. No, that's not what they dug in obedience to the word that God had given them. You can dig all day you want if it's not in God's will and God ain't going to fill that ditch. You're just going to make yourself tired and miserable and you're going to be angry with God. But you start digging a ditch in your family, in your finances, in your marriage, for your healing in your body. You begin to dig a ditch in obedience to God's word. And let me tell you, it's amazing the things that can seem so crazy and out of reach that become obtainable. Why? Just because one step after the other. Just because of one shovel full of dirt after the other. Oh, the enemy would tell you that's stupid. Why are you doing that? You don't have enough faith to even dig a ditch. Can I tell you something? It doesn't take much smarts to dig a ditch. I mean, how many people need a degree in ditch building? I mean, come on. I mean, it's not hard to dig a hole. You don't have to scientifically test the ground and prove all this. I mean, anyone, some people are not so good with a shovel than others, but anyone can put their foot on a shovel and anyone can dig a hole. Do I hear an amen? Every one of us has got the faith and the ability to dig a ditch. But will we dig it if we don't even see wind or rain? Can you still keep trusting God when it seems like nothing is changing? See, what happens is we dig and then we wait. God says, keep digging. But I haven't seen a change, God. God says, you've got to go a little bit deeper. You've got to make it a little bit wider. For your marriage today, when there's little response that you're getting back in your marriage, instead of quitting and saying, I'm done with this, I'm telling you right now, thus says the Lord, you've got to dig a ditch. You've got to start digging. What about your finances? I'm not seeing breakthroughs and miracles. I'm telling you right now, you've got to start digging some ditches. What about for your families? Maybe your kids are away from God. Your husband, wife's not saved. They're in rebellion to God. What do I do? Dig a ditch. Trust God. Believe God. What about for my health? When the doctors say it's not looking good, God would say to us today, dig a ditch, dig a ditch, dig it deeper, dig it wider, because whatever space you create, God says, I'm able to fill it. I'm able to fill it. I'm able to fill it. With every shovel full, listen to me, that you continue to dig, 
God is developing and building your spiritual strength. God is building you up. God's giving you stamina and courage in your life as you dig. It may not happen right then, but keep digging because God is doing something inside of you that's going to change you. Oh, we burnt the plows. That was the starting point. But don't get stuck there. We've got to take simple steps of faith into what God is doing. Begin to dig and believe that God will send the rain. Well, pastor, you know what? I'm believing for God to send the right person to my life. Well, that's great, but what are you doing in preparation? What are you working on? You see, we wait for God to send someone where God's saying, perhaps I'm waiting for you to be where you need to be so I can send the right person. You've got to start digging a ditch. Start digging a ditch of character. Start digging a ditch of integrity. Start serving in the house. Start serving God. I wonder today what small steps and practical preparation God is asking you to make today. I wonder what small steps and practical things God is saying. If you would just do these, I'll give you so much greater. And I'll do so much more. What ditches, I wonder, is he asking you to dig today? You can expect God to entrust you with big dreams or you can't expect God to entrust you with big dreams if he cannot trust you to start small. He cannot trust you if you can't be a good steward with where you're at. Here's a good one. I love David in the Bible, probably one of my favorite Bible characters. I love the fact that God or the word of God describes him as a man that had the heart of God. I want to be that. I want to be someone that has the heart of God. That's a big dream. But you know how I get there? One shovel full at the time. I've got to start by having an active relationship with God. Come on. I've got to start by praying and reading the word of God and trusting God like never before. I've got to start with small steps so I can get to the big dreams. Come on. In your marriage, sometimes you can't expect things to correct themselves overnight. After all the years of hurt and pain that you've inflicted upon each other, you can't expect it to be completely mended overnight. But you know what you can do? That's the big dream. That you can take small steps to it. You can ask for forgiveness. And through your forgiveness, you can open the door for healing and reconciliation. You can start by loving and doing your part and digging a ditch and believing that God's going to do the rest. In your finances, you're probably not going to get out of debt overnight. But you can start by being a good steward with what you do have. You can pay your tithes, you can budget, you can cut back, you can manage your finances, you can do some plastic surgery. And we're not talking about your appearance, we're talking about cutting up your credit cards. The big dreams aren't just going to miraculously happen. They come by willingness of you to be prepared to build a ditch. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence, it's going to happen, of things that yet I haven't seen, but faith is a shovel in my hand. Digging, 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 trusting, trusting, trusting. And as I said, Elisha didn't just say build one dig and one ditch. He said dig the valley full of ditches. If you offer to God a thimble, he'll fill it. If you offer God a five-gallon bucket, he can fill it. If you offer God a barrel or a bin, he can fill it. But I'm telling you today, if you dig a valley full of ditches, my God, he is able to fill that too. 
He is able to fill that. Look at this. Don't limit God through your restrictions. I want this week and from now onwards, I want you to look at ways. Trey, you can come up. I want you to look at ways every way possible in your life. I want you to look at ways how you can begin to dig a ditch. I'm going to give you something today when you leave. I'm going to give you a shovel. It may not be a big shovel, but I want you to put this somewhere and I want you to remind yourself every day, am I digging a ditch for my marriage, for my finances, for my life, for my health? What am I doing in preparation, in obedience to what God has called me to do? Because God has called us to use every means possible to dig a ditch. Come on, we've got to dig a ditch with our words. We've got to dig a ditch with our actions. We've got to dig a ditch with our prayers. We've got to dig a ditch with our expectations. We've got to dig a ditch with our thoughts, in our marriages, in our finances, with our children, in our homes. We've got to dig a ditch through our lives. Telling you today, big dreams come through small steps. Big dreams come through small steps. You've got to start right, then you've got to step right. You've got to step right. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, but here's what I'm asking today as you stand in a moment. Are you prepared to dig a ditch in the area of your life where you need God to move? Will you begin to prepare for a miracle even if you don't see the signs on the horizon? Will you give a word of forgiveness to someone who shows no signs of repentance? In your finances, will you be generous when you don't naturally have anything to give? Will you dig a ditch? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.